the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Friday again <laughs> seems to come so quickly. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you've tuned in to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and life questions and pretty much anything on your heart or mind. All you have to do is call us, 210 9585, that's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner uh, at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585 is our main number. Hey, a couple of things, because it's Friday, I know you're going to have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, a safe Memorial Day weekend, and you're going to take Jesus with you wherever you go. I also know that church is going to be great uh, wherever you go, the word will be taught. Um, people will get saved, and that's what Jesus brings us all together to accomplish. Uh, a scheduling note, because of Memorial Day on Monday, we will not be having a live program. The studio is completely closed on uh, Monday, so I'll try to remember to mention that again at the end of the program, but no live show on Monday. We're in our last full week of school. The kids have one more, not even a full week of school. And it gets really crazy busy around here with graduation and school award ceremonies. But it's also a really, really great time. And I'd appreciate your prayers for all of our kids to finish well. And all of the ceremonies and awards shows would go really well as well. Hey, I want to start today by reading something that was sent to me. Um... And I think we can, um, I'm I'm not going to give a name here. I know the person who sent this to me, Um, but it's dealing with uh, mental health. And in light of the questions that we've had this week and some of the 
um, really difficult times that people are having uh, with circumstances in their life or controlling their emotions. Paul and I spoke about it a little bit yesterday. Um, I think this really puts it in a in a place that we can all understand. This is a man. He's a, a guy who's not quite my age, but not far. And he says, uh, it's been a long road for me in my mental health journey. Fear is huge in my life, as sadly I've made my fears larger than God. The bottom line is I didn't believe his promises for me, which led me not to trust God as I believed I was separated from him due to my defects. This leads to self-loathing. I want to say that again. This leads to self-loathing. My issue was feeling I was entitled to healing and to be free from suffering. I ignored Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Um, And he says that can invite a lot of disagreement on so many levels. Even though I truly suffer at times, I'm still guilty of many sins, mostly sins of my heart. If all of this deepens my relationship with God, it will be worth it. Circumstances are different for all of us. My heart is with those who suffer. Now, you know, I think sometimes, I I love the honesty of this man here, especially um, as I know him. He hasn't always been that honest. Um, When he says fear is huge in my life because he's made his fears larger than God, I think that's something that a lot of us are guilty of. You know, when we're feeling condemned, we forget how big God is. When we're facing something that makes us anxious or something that we're really truly afraid of, we forget how big God is. And that's when faith comes in. And see, it's in times like that when you need to remember that trusting in the one who gave you new life in Christ is really all we've got. But more than that, it's all we really need. And he says the bottom line was that he didn't believe his promises for me. And when you don't believe that God's promises are for you, you know, there's so often that we'll look outside of ourselves and we'll see that that uh, somebody is is um, suffering and and we'll think, well, they can deal with it. But when it happens to us, well, that's sometimes when our faith completely fails. And we have a tendency with the help from an enemy and sadly the help sometimes from false teaching churches and from uh, people who are in our lives or like Job's friends who are in his life. We have a tendency to believe that God just won't do it for me. And when he said this leads to self-loathing, we need to understand that when we are hard on ourselves, certainly harder than God ever is, When we're hard on ourselves, what happens is that we diminish who he is. And our focus becomes completely inward instead of upward. And I know I said this yesterday on the show with Paula, but every time we're spending time with ourselves, we're going to get bummed out. Every time that we're spending time with ourselves, well, the enemy is going to attack because our thoughts, our time... And our prayers need to be with the Lord. And I love the insight that this guy has. Now, I'm praying and hoping that he's making changes. Sometimes it's pretty easy to isolate what our deficiencies are. 
well, I've made my fears bigger than God. But if we don't change that, if we don't do anything about it, well, that's when we stay in that especially vulnerable position. The enemy will pound and we will be tossed around, spiritually speaking. And I think the reason I wanted to read this is to say this and then I'll kind of move on. The whole point of this program, the whole point of teaching the Bible the way we teach it, is to give people the opportunity to change. To change, to really and truly change. We don't have to be who we used to be. We don't have to fall into the same habit patterns, the same cycles of up one day and down the next. It's never enough to know what the problem is. The Word of God tells us how to change the problem so that we can stay changed forever. And this man, I've known him a long time. He is uh, doesn't live in Texas. He's a, a man who has really and truly struggled, and his lows have been exceptionally low. And I'm hopeful that now that he's identified the problem, he'll do something about it. Uh, all of that to say we can all do something about our problems whenever they come. Jesus has the answer. All we have to do is truly believe. I didn't say this earlier, but before I go to the first question today, uh, tonight I get to talk about worship. We're doing Hebrews chapter 9. I'm only doing the first five verses. I'm going to go really, really slow um, through um, chapter 9 of Hebrews. Uh, But tonight I get to talk about worship. I think that's a good thing to talk about. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, I wish Paula was here for this question. I wish I got this yesterday, but I didn't. It says, in addition to prayer, how is a wife to react when her husband continually glances at other women inappropriately? He professes to be a Christian. Uh, A couple of things, Anonymous. Um, You should be able to say in this question, my husband is a Christian or he's not a Christian. But by indicating that he professes to be a Christian, it, it seems to suggest that there's some question in your mind about whether or not he really is. That's why prayer, and you said accept, pray. Sometimes we just don't believe that prayer is enough. Now, aside from prayer, and let me get back to that before I sign off on this question, but this is a time when you've got to be able to sit down with your husband and tell him what is continually looking at other women inappropriately does to you. How it breaks your heart, how it makes you feel insecure, how it makes you feel like you're not enough or not pretty enough or whatever whatever it is you're feeling. But see, this is the thing. Husbands and wives, no longer two but one, you've got to be able to talk about these things. And you know, he can say things like, well, it's only natural, you know, I don't mean anything by it. But when he hears, when a man hears his wife say, but it's hurting my feelings. And there's ways to look at women and there's ways not to look at women. And inappropriate, we can all define it when we see it. But you've got to be able to talk to him now. If he professes to be a Christian, ask him to go with you to talk to your pastor. 
and get some counseling. These are important things to resolve because as long as it just sort of hangs out there and he keeps doing it and you keep quiet about it, well, then the enemy is going to have even a greater and greater opening. So these are things that you really need to be able to talk about. Now, this is going to sound strange. You said your husband professed to be a Christian. Are you reading the Bible together? You see, if your husband wants God's heart for you, he's going to find that in the Word of God. And as you're reading together, not for hours every day, but just just you read a chapter out loud, let him read a chapter out loud. When you're reading the Word together, the supernatural Word of God, the Holy Spirit empowering the work of the, the Word, will change your husband's heart. But if you're just not talking about this, if you're not in the Word together, if you're not praying together, if you're not in church serving together, well, then these are the kind of problems that are going to go and go and go and go. Now, let me speak to men out there. Men are visual. That is not an excuse. You're to have eyes only for one woman. And I like that we got this question today because sometimes this gives us a little bit of insight into how our wives feel, the the damage that's done, the way we hurt their feelings. Now, men, your wife is the woman that you promised God you would cherish. You would love her in good times and bad, that you would be his ambassador, his representative in the home. And if we're constantly looking at other women in an appropriate way, and the same thing is true, the same dynamic is true with pornography, if we're doing that, then not only are we not making her feel cherished, but just the opposite is happening. We're making her feel as though she has no value. And you're giving the enemy an opening to attack the woman that you said you'd protect. Again, Anonymous, if you don't know for sure that he's a Christian, sit down and find out. This is your husband. This is the man that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, hopefully. And so you got to know these things. you got to be comfortable in knowing that he's got you and you've got him. Walking together as one means we turn from the things of this world and turn together toward Jesus and just follow him. So when your husband is looking at other women and it hurts you, you've got to be honest enough and open enough to tell him. So I hope that helps, and I'll be praying for it. If you don't mind, um, keep us posted. I just pray that the Lord will, will do a great work in your marriage. Here is a question, another anonymous one. In fact, i got three, four anonymous questions in a row, counting the first one. Uh, this is one I started to take on, on Wednesday, and I couldn't do it quickly. So it says, I think many conspiracy theories are true. Do you think we ought to spend time finding out about them in the interest of truth? Anonymous, I can't think of a single conspiracy theory that's true. I really can't. I can't think of, of any value at all in even reading them, let alone digging in to find out whether or not they're true. Now, I understand how they are of interest to people. I especially understand 
um, those of us who are cynical about government or about other things, uh, how it sort of plays to the fears in us. Um, but there's no value and there's no truth in those conspiracy theories. Most of them are laughable. And frankly, when Christians get involved in these things, it's embarrassing to the cause of Christ. It's embarrassing. So here's what I suggest you do, Anonymous. Instead of spending whatever time you spend on conspiracy theories, how about you spend that time in the Word? I promise you it would be infinitely better for you. I promise you that there would be blessings as a result. But why do we need to dig around conspiracy theories when we've got the truth of all truths? We've got the truth in the Word of God that's set before us. If we've got so much time that we can spend it on the Internet pursuing conspiracy theories, don't you think that time could be better used in talking to the Lord and finding out who He is and developing your prayer life? All those things, I think, are important. Very quickly, um, my family has been touched by conspiracy theories um, with all of my heart I believe that they are demonic I believe that the enemy kind of spikes the interest that we have he wants us to waste our time he wants us to get our mind uh, and our hearts off things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God I think he wants us to be cynical and doubt everything and I've seen people's lives taken over, completely taken over by conspiracy theories. So there's no doubt in my mind that it is demonic. As I said earlier, there's not a grain of truth in any of them. So as a Christian, you're not your own, you're bought with the price. Remember to do that which benefits your walk with Jesus instead of that which will take away from your walk with Jesus. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. Uh, here's a sad question, an Anonymous question. Uh, my parents are both Christians, but they're angry all the time. Why? He or she asks. I tell all the time, I tell parents, uh, that your children are watching your walk. They're going to find out whether or not your Jesus is real. And they're going to find out whether your Jesus is worth having. Not by what you say, but by watching how you live your lives. And I say all the time to our church that if you say you love somebody and they don't benefit personally from that love, then you're going to embitter your children. Same thing is true, by the way, with husbands and wives. If you say, I love you, and then start yelling ugly things, well, they're not ever going to believe you really love them. And Anonymous, I don't know. Um, I, I understand flesh. I understand the temptations of this world. But I don't, I don't get why Christians are angry. Now, I'm not a normally really up positive person. Paula shames me. She's always that way. And I'm just not. But you see, because I'm not, I have to know that about myself, and I have to remember who I am in Christ. And to be angry when our lives should be filled with gratitude is disingenuous at best. 
for professing Christians. Now, moms and dads in this audience, I want you to really understand the heart behind this question. This is a young woman or a young man whose parents probably take him to church, who probably talk about Jesus in the sense that we're Christians, we can't do this or we can't do that. But the home that they live in is filled with anger. If you're guilty of that, you've got to change. If your kids don't see that your Jesus is real and that your Jesus is a source of joy for you, why would they ever want your Jesus? You know, we get questions on the show all the time about why are we losing a young generation of, of Christians. We raise them in the church and then they go to college or they go to the military or they go out into the work world and suddenly they trash their faith and they lose it, especially when it's college or university. Well, the answer is because the Jesus that they grew up with isn't the Jesus that they want anything to do with. And most of the time, that's because mom and dad's Jesus wasn't the real Jesus. Mom and dad having a relationship with Jesus didn't benefit the child. And when we find situations like anger and and um, you know, living duplicitous lives, um, those are the very things. Paul used the word, uh, do not embitter in one translation, uh, do not exasperate your children, speaking to parents. And those are the very things that, that, that embitter your kids. Why would I care about Jesus if your Jesus is the one that I'm supposed to come to? Every parent in this audience I want you to think about the terrible things your children have heard you say when you're angry. Maybe even the terrible things they've heard you say about your husband or your wife, their mother or their father. The most profound moment I had as a kid, I mean, it shaped my life. My mom and dad were arguing one Saturday. We were getting ready to go to our, my Little League baseball game. Finally, my dad said, Ronnie, let's go, because he was so mad. And got in the car, started back out, and he screamed, I hate that, and he cursed my mom. And I'm in the car. And even now, as I'm repeating that story, it's like I'm nine years old all over again, listening to that. Now, my parents weren't Christians. They didn't claim to be. But the real tragedy is that kind of atmosphere is prevalent in way, way too many Christian homes. And your kids are watching, your kids are listening. It's your job to represent Jesus. So Anonymous, um, give them grace, but pray for them. And don't blame Jesus when Christians don't act like Jesus. Here is another anonymous question. Somebody has issues with me. You spoke quite harshly about a woman's right to choose yesterday, and this would have been a couple of days ago. Uh, what about my body, my choice? I happen to believe that the fetus doesn't become a baby at the same time you do. So what makes you the authority? Uh, anonymous, with the scientific advancements we've had, we can see into the womb so clearly 
There's no way that you can look and see that's not life. Now, I'm not going to convince you because you don't want to be convinced. People that want to support abortion want to be able to have sex. They want to sin. They want to sin without consequence. And if they get caught, if the woman gets pregnant, well, then what they want to do is be able to avoid any consequences. But they're doing that at the expense of a life. We had a, a young woman in our church with twins, and she brought me a, a sonogram um, where the twins were facing each other and their lips were actually touching each other. It looked like they were kissing each other. And you could see expressions on their faces. I had another woman who brought me a sonogram of, of her baby at, at about six months. And they, they do that because they know I pray for them. When that baby was born, it was like I already knew that baby because it looked exactly like the sonogram. I mean, you could see the picture. Another one gave me a picture of us in the sonogram that, that the baby looked just like the baby's father. I mean, exactly like the baby's father. So I would ask you, what about your baby's body, your baby's choice? Now, I know the pro-abortion side of this argument doesn't believe that life begins at conception. But they're wrong. The science proves they're wrong. The truth is they don't want to hear that they're wrong. Because at heart, our basic instinct is to sin without consequences. And if we can just get rid of the baby, well, then we can start over as though nothing ever happened. The problem is it never works out that way. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. It's the Friday edition of the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the friday program we have 30 minutes left in the week the phones have been quiet we love your live calls and questions 340-9585 for your calls here's a question from victor um, what is the best way to deal with mental illness in the church? Can we heal them by praying? Victor says, um, you know, Victor, the, the one thing, and, and um, let me apologize in advance. I don't intend to offend anybody by this, but you know, there are some things that we can't do anything about. Um, we can deal with mental illness caused by demonic oppression. Um, we can deal with um, a lot of things, but um, the, the problem is we live in a fallen world and mental illness is becoming uh, a huge problem in our world, not just in the church, but a huge problem in the world. And whenever we have people who are mentally unstable, especially those who refuse to take their meds, there's not a lot that we can do about it. And remember, the mission of the church is to proclaim Jesus Christ to equip the, the, the body of Christ for the works of ministry. That's the main mission of the church. And necessarily, sadly, but necessarily, 
there are going to be people that fall between the cracks and there's really nothing that we can do. If somebody can't think right, if somebody has a chemical imbalance in their brain, if they refuse to take their meds, if somebody is schizophrenic, what can the church do? You know, you may know, Victor, um, our church, we have a, a big outreach um, downtown San Antonio once a year where thousands and thousands of people come. And a lot of those people are homeless and we do a lot of really neat things uh, down there. We feed them and we clean them up and we let them see doctors and we give them clothing. I mean, just all kinds of things that we do. It's a huge, huge event. Um, it's the last Saturday of October every year. Um, and you know, the, 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 we're there just to love on them for a little bit. A large, large, large portion of the homeless population is mentally ill. And there's nothing that we can do. It's not within our purview. It's not within our place of, of, of knowledge. So what we do is we just try to be nice. So here's what we do in the church. We, we love people. Again, because we live in a fallen world. People need to want help if they can't uh, function or, or don't, can't even understand the concept of wanting help. Then yeah, we can pray for them. But there's not a lot that we can do in any church now. Uh, I read that question, or not the question, but the statement from a, a guy I know at the top of the program today. Um, people have to make their own choices. And when they make the right choices, we've got to be there for them. When they make the wrong choices, they've got to know that we're going to be here and love them and pray for them. And when they're ready to get right with God, they need to come back. But we can't stop everything in the middle of a church service if somebody wants to sort of go off the rails because that distracts us from the mission of equipping the people of God for the works of ministry, of proclaiming Jesus Christ. So, I mean, there are some problems that are too big, not for God, of course, but they're too big for us. And I don't think God intends, Victor, that that we're here to solve all the problems. We're here to proclaim Jesus Christ, risen, crucified, and risen from the dead. And when we do that, they have the opportunity to invite the power of God to change their lives. And while we've seen a lot of people who've overcome um, significant mental illness issues and serve God fruitfully and abundantly so, there's still a whole bunch of people that really aren't ready to get help. And there's not much we can do. I, I wish there was a better answer. You know, Victor, one of the things that I'm really, really concerned with, with marijuana now being legal in many, many places, with the earthly, the worldly emphasis on medical marijuana. Well, you know I'm suffering. I have anxiety. Marijuana helps those kind of things and the general acceptance of it, and with you combine that with the, the potency of marijuana now, we're literally watching a generation of people smoke themselves into mental illness. 
I read an article just two weeks ago about how those who are smoking marijuana are opening the door to schizophrenia and paranoia. And they're going to be the mental health problems of the future. So, I, I, you know, all we can do is deal with what God sets in front of us. You know, I had somebody in this, so I hope I can make the, the, the connection here, um, make sense of it. But somebody asked me at church uh, a week or so ago, what are we supposed to do about the immigration issue? All these people pouring in over the borders, they're bringing diseases, and you could, you could hear the fear in his voice. What are we supposed to do? And I, I just asked him, I said, we don't have any power to change immigration laws. We don't have any power to make decisions about what we should do with those migrants. All we have is the power when we see somebody who's in front of us, it doesn't matter where they come from, when God brings them into our sphere of influence, then we have the power to change something, and that's to change the way they view Christians, to change the way they view Christ. Well, mental illness, same way, I can't fix it. I can't pray it away. I certainly don't want to pretend that it isn't real. So here's what I do. I do my part using the gifts God has given me to equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. And then those people will be equipped and filled with God's Spirit when they encounter people who are suffering from mental health issues. We can't name it and claim it that they're going to be healthy and well. All we can do is be there for them and pray for them and show them who Jesus is. When they're ready, then maybe you'll be the person that God uses. There's a question, and I did not write the name down. I almost never do that, but uh, so I don't know who this one is. It said, Pastor Ron, what is the falling away of Second Thessalonians 2.3? Let me read it, and then I'll uh, I'll discuss it. Uh, the verse says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, that's the day of the Lord, uh, until the rebellion, if New King James says the falling away, occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, obviously, the context here is talking about the rapture of the church. And when we're taken uh, into heaven to be with Jesus, and the great tribulation begins... We're told here that that day, the day that the day of the Lord's return to set things right, will not come until there first be a falling away. And the man of lawlessness, the man we call the Antichrist, is revealed. Um, Paul says he's doomed to destruction. So the falling away, the word is, a, uh, is the word we get our English word apostasy from. And this is a great apostasy, is what's being spoken of here. It's going to be a turning away from the truth. Now, the reason that's so frightening to us is because um, we can look around and see that that's already begun. When I say Jesus is coming soon, he could come at any moment. All we have to do is look around and see that we already have large numbers of professing Christian churches who have sort of trashed the word of God. 
They don't believe that it is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. They don't believe it's anything more than just sort of a guideline to live by, but, you know, it's an old document, and and we've already started falling away from the truth. An earlier question about conspiracy theories, somebody that would take any time at all and try to find truth in those, but who is unwilling to find doctrinal truth in the Word. Well, that's a sign of the falling away. And as individual Christians, one of the things that we have to do is is examine our own hearts. What is your attitude about the Word of God? If you listen to this program regularly, you know that I say it often has the answer to every problem you ever have in life. If you don't believe it, you've already begun your own personal falling away. So this great falling away that precedes uh, the Antichrist being revealed and precedes the uh, rapture of the church and precedes seven years later the return of the Lord. Uh, it's a falling away from that which has been revealed to us is the truth, the very word of God. And because we're already experiencing that, again, I want to say to everybody listening, Jesus is coming soon. It could happen at any moment. 340-9585, if you have any questions or calls. Uh, here is a question from Abraham. He says, I know you like the NIV, but doesn't it take away the power of the blood and diminish Jesus' deity, even denying the atonement? Abraham, um, I want to be clear, I like the 1984 NIV. I think it's the best translation of the New Testament that we have going. Uh, and no, the answer is it does not take away the power of the blood, nor does it diminish Jesus' deity. It certainly doesn't deny the atonement. Now, there are passages that when you're reading a King James, and then you compare what the 84 version of the NIV says, you can say, well, see, they left out the blood, or they denied the atonement. It's not included in there. But remember, the translators of the NIV are simply translating a different set of manuscripts. And two things you need to understand. Motive is everything. In those areas where the NIV leaves something out, you go down to the bottom of the page, it says other translations say, and they have exactly what you uh, have in your King James. So why would, if they were trying to hide those things or diminish Jesus' deed or to deny the atonement, why would they include that at the bottom? The other thing that you can see as you read through the scriptures, there are plenty of other places in the NIV where all of those things are affirmed. So yes, there's power in the blood. Yes, Jesus is God. And yes, he atoned for our sins on the cross. So the NIV doesn't take away anything. It doesn't diminish anything. It really is a great translation. One more time, I want to say the 84 NIV is really hard to find now. Uh, but if you look hard, it's out there. And it is a, a Bible that I think uh, everybody ought to have, every Christian ought to have, as they read different translations of the Word of God. So, Abraham, don't listen to the King James only nonsense, the conspiracy theories that they're spinning. The NIV is a great translation and honors and speaks of Jesus uh, in the most glowing of terms. 
There's an anonymous question says, I believe that a God who would punish people forever is immoral. How can that be defended? Uh, anonymous, I don't have to defend God. Or I feel no need to defend God. But I want you to think about something. I want, I want you to be as honest as you can as I, as I answer your question. How would a God, and I'm just going to use one of the worst people in the history of the world, how would a God who would excuse Adolf Hitler be considered just or moral? See, we want justice. We just don't want it in our own lives. We don't want it in the lives of the people that we love. See, here's the thing that we have to understand. We are all of us created eternal beings. We're made in the image of God. That's one of the things that that means. The other is that we have the, the free will to choose. Just like God chooses, we choose. We're made in His image. But because we're going to live somewhere forever, and because John chapter 3, Jesus speaking in Nicodemus says that we are condemned when we're born, we get to choose where we're going to spend forever. If I go to hell, it's not because God wants me there or sent me there. It's not because God is petulant and just trying to get even with me. It's because I chose to go there by refusing the only way that anybody can get to heaven. So if we're going to live somewhere forever, we get to make the choice. And if the choice is I want to be with Jesus, we call that heaven. If the choice is I want to live independent of Jesus, God honors that choice that we make in life. He honors that in death. Why do we blame him for that? So we punish ourselves. And the whole time we do so over God's broken heart. And I would be really careful about judging Jesus as being immoral. I'd be really careful about blaspheming God in that way. And then I would ask you, Anonymous, to think about a God who would still reach out with his arms to someone like you who's just accused him of being immoral. He loves you. He's offering you eternal life. And all you have to do is say yes. Now, if you choose to live on your terms instead of his, well, then you're also going to spend eternity in hell. You may think you're a really nice person, but remember, you just called God immoral. Nice people don't do that. So accept his offer to forgive your sins, turn your life over to his control, and see the wonderful difference that it makes. Here is a question from Bryce. I think we're in the last 10 minutes, so if you're going to call, call quickly, please. 340-9585. Here's a question from Bryce. He says, I know God has a plan for my life, but is it possible for me to mess it up? Uh, yeah, Bryce, we can all mess it up. That's why Paul says, don't quench the Spirit of God. But yeah, we can all mess it up. We can mess it up by willful sin. We can mess it up by not wanting what God wants for us and instead of holding on to our plans. The problem for you, Bryce, is that anywhere but God's plan for your life is going to be a place of pain and misery. 
a place of emptiness and longing. And God says, look, I've got a plan for you. Romans chapter 12, a perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God for your life. If you're in that path, and you have to make the choice to go there, you've got to get up in the morning and say, what about me, Jesus, and what about today? And if you'll do that, then you can't mess it up. On the other hand, if you get up and decide, I'm going to do things my way. Don't see why I can't do this or why I can't do that. Well, then you're going to mess it up. And the result is going to be pain for you. You know, Bryce, I'm a late-in-life Christian. I didn't get saved until I was almost 40 years of age. That was 28 years ago. And I can tell you, trying to do things my way not only caused me pain, but it caused, in some cases, even worse pain for people in my life that I loved or I said I loved, people that loved me. And for the most part, Bryce, I was successful and still messed it up. 28 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus, I purposed in my heart that I was going to stay right in the middle of his will. Told him I want only what you want for me, nothing else. And my life has been so rich and so full and so passionate ever since. At times I feel like I'm the richest man on the face of the earth. I don't have money. But I know I'm right where Jesus wants me to be. I'll say one more thing, Bryce. I think it's important. The Lord is, I think, leading me to do this. Only by surrendering your heart to Jesus are you going to find out how good He really is to you. How wonderful His plan for you is. As for me, I can tell you, I get up every day. Now remember, I'm in part responsible for Paul. I'm Jesus' representative in my home. And I can get up every day, and I know, and I am grateful for the fact that I know whatever is on the agenda for this day is his perfect will. Now, if I start thinking about, well, you know, it's time to do something else, or I want more in my life, or I want something other than being the pastor of Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, um, well, then I'm just like you in danger of messing it up. But you see, I know I'm in God's will. And there's not a better thing to know in the history of your life than that. Because even if you start to mess it up, we've got the promise that he who began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it. And he is faithful even when you're faithless. You see, that's the kind of God that we serve. And when we're in his perfect, pleasing, acceptable will, there's nothing that can keep us from bringing honor and glory to the Lord and living that abundant, that rich life that Jesus promised all of us. I hope that helps. Here is a question from Alan. We've got five minutes left in the week. Boy, time goes. Uh, pastor on, does Second Peter one twenty mean that we need a priest or pastor to interpret the Bible for us? Uh, I'm going to read that. I'm also going to read the the 21st verse, Alan. Um, sort of to give some clarity. 
The verse says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read those two verses together, it says just the opposite. Do we need a priest or pastor to interpret the Bible for us? No, just the opposite. You see, all Scripture is from God. And so the prophets, when they were speaking, Peter says they weren't speaking on their own. They were speaking by the Spirit of God. We also know that the gift of prophecy is governed by the Spirit of the prophets. In other words, we can't say anything that is in contradistinction to to, to what the Word reveals to us. So no, this doesn't mean that we can't interpret it. This just means that we can have the confidence that everything that comes to us in the Bible was spoken from God himself. And the writers of our Bible were carried along by the Holy Spirit, just like the prophets were. And in the process, um, the Holy Spirit who wrote it lives in you and will interpret it. So no, I, I do know that the Catholic Church uses that sometimes as as um, their justification for saying that that a, a priest needs to to uh, interpret for you. But but it says just the opposite, Alan. So uh, no, you don't need anybody. All you need is to study to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the word, and the Holy Spirit will do marvelous things. Patrick wants to know what does the term free thinker mean. Um, free thinkers, they identify themselves. Every once in a while you'll see uh, uh, a letter to the editor uh, in the newspaper uh, written by somebody who identifies as a free thinker. They're the ones who claim to be atheists. They don't believe in God, that I can think on my own. I don't rely on God to do it. So this is somebody who believes only in logic and reason rather than God. Now, there's all kinds of problems with that, but most uh, obvious, at least I think, is that somebody who doesn't believe in God, their lives are illogical. And they're not expressing reason. In fact, they're being irrational in the process. They so don't want to be governed by this God that they just sort of wish him out of existence in their lives. So these are unbelievers, um, people that have no hope, they have no direction, I always think, Patrick, when I think about free thinkers of the Sadducees in Jesus' time, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees were always at odds with one another. The Pharisees believed uh, that the word was inspired by God. They believed in miracles. They believed in the resurrection of the dead to life. They believed in all of those things. The Sadducees, Jews, influential people, the Sadducees didn't believe in anything supernatural. They claimed only to believe in the first five books of the Bible. If I were there, I'd remind him that, you know, Exodus is in the first five books of the Bible. How about Moses parting the Red Sea? That is the signature miracle of the Old Testament. And you don't believe in that, but you claim to believe in the first five books. How, how do you explain that contradiction? And so um, the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in anything they couldn't see, touch, or feel. And they were the most miserable of all people, Patrick. So that's what free thinker means. Uh, the irony 
is that there's nothing free about the way they're thinking. Their thoughts have been taken captive by an enemy. So all we have to do is point them to Jesus. So Patrick, that's what free thinker means. I got less than one minute. Uh, Andrea asks, do you think... No, she says, don't you think Jesus would be in favor of same-sex marriage if he was here? He wants us to love one another. Uh, Andrea, we don't have to wonder about that. All we have to do is read our Bibles, know who Jesus is. He wants us to live holy lives. So no, he wouldn't be in favor of same-sex marriage. Not at all. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Remember that Monday we will not have a live program because of the Memorial Day holiday. Have a safe, wonderful holiday. Go to church on Sunday and remember how much Jesus loves you. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.